So good morning, Patrick, and thank you for joining us today. Good morning. That's very kind. Hey, um, uh, you know, there's a ton of, of, of candidates out there who have been promoting the idea uh, that we need to raise the minimum, minimum wage, uh, go to a living wage. Uh, and there's been all, there's some uh, body of evidence out there maybe that that may have the negative impact that they're wanting. Uh, can you share with us a little bit about uh, the research that Shomi's done on minimum wage? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you talk about the minimum wage, there is this kind of presumption in the argument, for folks who, who haven't looked at the issue, at least not in, in particular depth, that the compassionate response is, well, you, you, you want to raise the minimum wage because it'll, it'll help people. And, and in some cases, it'll help, you know, a, a certain segment of the population. But it, what it does on the aggregate uh, overall is that it ends up hurting a lot of people. It hurts a whole lot of people. Uh, and, and it kind of makes sense. I mean, if you're going to raise the cost of something, uh, you have to make cutbacks in other places. And so what oftentimes happens with the minimum wage is that you raise the minimum wage, and what happens is uh, the, the, the least qualified workers, the ones that aren't necessarily um, making uh, $15 worth of productivity, those are the ones that get cut first, and the folks who end up staying are the ones who are uh, most qualified for it, or a lot of times people will come into the workforce, folks who are stay-at-home dads or stay-at-home moms, who wouldn't come out for $8 an hour, but they would come out for $15 an hour. And when they come into the workforce, it, it bounces some folks from it who the minimum wage was supposed to help. Um, and, and not only that, when you start talking about, you know, replacement of the workforce, it's not just a human being replacing another human being. A lot of times what happens is a machine will come in and, and effectively replace a human being. I was in uh, Columbia uh, last week, and what they started doing is uh, in, at Panera Bread Company, uh, St. Louis Bread Company, they're replacing, uh, starting to replace some of their workers with kiosks. And, and they actually encourage people to use the kiosk. When I was there, I got on two different occasions free stuff. One time I, by using the kiosk, I got a free cookie. The other time I got a free coffee. If I had gone to a human being who they still had there, I wouldn't have gotten the free stuff. So they actually encourage people to use the machine uh, and because it's more cost-effective. And as you raise the minimum wage up, what ends up happening is it becomes a lot more cost-effective for companies just to move to computers rather than to the people. And that's, again, that hurts people uh, rather than helps them. And and I've seen that at the McDonald's. Uh, you see that at the Walmarts where they have the uh, self-checkout. And uh, I have I think I shot a took a, a picture of it and then posted one time that that's your next $15 an hour employee. Uh, and and Saint, uh, Panera, St. Louis Bread Company, they have uh, uh, pretty good benefits and pay for their employees. So if they can eliminate one, that definitely would help their bottom line. That, that's exactly right. And, and re- when you look at you know whether or not uh, the minimum wage is really well targeted to people who are in persistent poverty, the answer is, is really no. Uh, and, and that's that's a bipartisan, non-ideological uh, perspective. Christina Romer, who worked for uh, Barack Obama, she was on his uh, Council of Economic Advisors. She said precisely the same thing, is that a minimum wage really doesn't address our poverty concerns. Well, and, why you know, is that? A lot that? of the reason for that is because minimum wages just don't target poverty very well. What, why is that? Well, what ends up happening is the, the folks who are in poverty, uh, well, let me, let me put it a different way. People who are making a minimum wage are not typically in poverty. About two-thirds of the people who are 
making a minimum wage are in households that are not actually in poverty. And, and so a lot of the folks who are making minimum wage are, uh, are working a job as a second job. And so they make uh, over a minimum wage, or they, they make more than poverty, than poverty line, uh, but, and they're not in poverty. So this could be a second job. And or teenagers? They have kids who are, who are working the minimum wage. And yeah. so they're in a household that uh, is not in poverty. So, so two-thirds of people that are on minimum wage are not in uh, low-poverty households. Correct. Correct. And what ends up happening is, you know, the, the money is intended to contribute to the household. Uh, and, and a lot of times it's not folks who are, uh, uh, who this is their only source of income. <clears throat> a lot of times it's simply supplemental. We have a caller, uh, David from San Francisco. He has a question for you. Uh, David, go ahead with your question for uh, Patrick Ishmael. Yeah, morning, Steve and uh, Patrick. You know, I've I got to disagree, and I'm going to quote from uh, Mark Twain. Uh, he said that there are lies, damn lies, and statistics. And uh, so I, the first thing about the minimum wage is, is that it's colony economics. Uh, you know, back in 1776, the king was sucking all the money back to London, and there was never any working capital in town to work with. So when you start looking at most of the jobs that, uh, and uh, most of the people who are complaining about raising the minimum wage, these are, uh, these are corporations that are not based in Missouri, and they're, uh, they, they're basically colonies. They've made a colony of every part of America, and they're sucking the money back to the headquarters. So what's so your question? every dime that they're not paying in, in wage increases, they're, uh, they're leaving people out of business. So the uh, the question specifically is, does your study include the study of how many bu- small businesses are created when uh, minimum wage is increased? Thanks, David, for your question. Well, <clears throat> if you actually look at the, the folks who usually are paying a minimum wage, uh, you're, it's usually not companies like Walmart. Uh, it's not the big, big companies that are typically uh, – Paying the minimum wage, those companies oftentimes are paying above or well above it. Um, what ends up happening is is the smaller businesses, the mom and pop stores, where the only way they can make ends meet is by paying the the minimum wage. That those are the companies that end up getting hurt, and that's why you end up seeing a lot of companies, including Panera, who are replacing workers uh, with kiosks. Uh, I think the CEO was saying that he supports a uh, fifteen hour. Uh, an hour minimum wage. And, and, and the reason for that is that a lot of those companies can sustain those kinds of wages. Large companies, large corporations, the kind that it sounds like the caller is talking about, can already sustain that kind of a wage level. The problem is smaller businesses, like uh, family restaurants, are typically less able to actually sustain that. And that's why a lot of big businesses want the minimum wage increase, not because you know, they think it will hurt themselves. They, they don't think it will hurt themselves. They think what it will do is put other companies out of business, small, big, medium-sized, all, all, all across the board. Um, so I, I think that's – I think the caller's presumption here is is incorrect. Uh, I, I think that when you look at who actually pays the minimum wage, who is more likely to, it's small businesses, and, and it's folks who are least able to actually handle those sorts of hikes. And the other aspect, when you talk about the automation, a small business, I would imagine, wouldn't have the capital and maybe their resources to sustain, uh, you know, the automation uh, to a large degree. 
uh, when it comes yeah, to that kiosk. Yeah, that, that's exactly exactly right. For for companies that that can handle either the higher wages or to actually just replace their employees effectively with robots, um, you know, they're they're more inclined to try to put their competitors at a, a competitive disadvantage. And, and it doesn't matter whether they're small, middle, or, or large. These companies, and, and it makes sense. I mean, there are tactical advantages to disadvantaging your your opposition if you're in business. But uh, the the fact is is that small businesses suffer when you raise the minimum wage. Uh, and not only small businesses. We're not just talking about the the entrepreneurs out there. We're also talking about the employees, the folks who are actually in poverty, the poor who can be hurt by by laws like this. There was a, um, I guess, the debate that those who want to raise the minimum wage say that raising the minimum wage uh, puts more money back into the local economy because poor folks will spend that money, and then it's kind of self-generating. Can you explain that logic and why that may not actually be that logical? Yeah, you know, telling people that we're going to redistribute this money and uh, and that other people are going to spend it better than the people who originally earned the money. So basically it's telling, telling business, you know what, you were going to put more money into uh, your company by building a new wing to your restaurant, okay? You, we're going to take that money away, uh, and we're going to uh, pay folks uh, more for work they're already doing, uh, and you're going to like it. Uh, and these people are going to spend more money as well, and, and you know, everything's going to work out better. That's, that doesn't hold up when you look at the economics of it. And there's also this other tension. It's the seen versus the unseen. So you can see if you redistribute how a company uh, pays its employees or how it makes investments in itself, you can see that and you can say, well, look, look at all this, this spending that you're seeing. But you're also not seeing, though, what that company could have done with that money if they had uh, expanded their operations, had actually invested in themselves, and over time had grown the economy to such an extent that it, it really beats out any short-term spending that you may even see if you see it at all. So, no, I, I would I would disagree with the the idea that you know if you uh, simply just start paying people double what they're getting paid right now, that it's going to be net benefit to the economy. The, the study has been pretty clear, and it doesn't matter what administration that you're talking about, whether it's this one or the one before it. Uh, or the or ones before that, is that the minimum wage is a poorly <laughs> designed way to uh, not only uh, you know reinvigorate the economy in quotes, but also to help people who are most in need. And then that's why if you want to really help folks, you want to get government out of the way rather than inject them into you know the the wage policy of uh, small businesses, middle middle sized businesses, and, and large businesses. Because a lot of times what happens is. Uh, it's a destructive decision on the part of government rather than one that actually helps people. What would you say are the most uh, meaningful ways that folks could raise their income levels? Well, I mean, we, we all uh, pursue education. So obviously uh, trying to continue education uh, when, when appropriate, that's always helpful, makes you more marketable. Um, but, you know, from a government policy perspective, one thing that, that oftentimes comes up as, uh, a counter to uh, a counter argument is the earned income tax credit, and that's a refundable tax credit that, at the end of the year, after you've you've worked all year and you, you've been in poverty, you basically get that money back. Um, so that is superior; it gets people out into the workforce, and, and it also makes sure that it doesn't disincentivize hiring on the part of employers. Um, so 
Yeah, I mean, there, there are lots of things that we can all do individually to make ourselves uh, more marketable as, as employees, obviously, so that's probably where I would start. But the fact is that if you're looking for a policy solution or at least uh, a policy uh, option to make this better for folks who are really suffering, earned income tax credit is, is a much better tool. Very good. Any last words on um, what might be coming up next week uh, from the show me? Oh, man. Well, we've been working on a lot of different uh, projects lately. Uh, we have one coming up on interstate physician licensing. Uh, one of the big problems with Obamacare is that it really only looks at the demand side at insurance, but we need to make sure that we have a, a robust supply of doctors and access to all those doctors. So uh, we have a project that's going to be finished in the next couple weeks, uh, but our, our, our regular stuff is, is you know pumping out pretty regularly. We, we talk about education all the time. We talk about health care and tax policy, definitely go to our website, showmeinstitute.org. All right. Well, thank you, sir, for being with us today. Thank you. 